Welcome to the Med Device Careers podcast. I'm your host, Fran Moriarty. Med Device Careers is building a community shaping the future of healthcare. Each episode, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the med device space to discuss their career path, explore their contributions, and share their advice. Join us today at meddevicecareers.com to grow your knowledge, network, and career. In this episode, I speak with Nina Goodhart, Senior VP and President of Structural Heart and Aortic at Medtronic. Nina has grown her career with Medtronic over the past 15 years, first in marketing for the company's CRDM division, and subsequently stepping into VP and general manager roles for a number of the company's divisions. In our conversation, we discuss how Nina made the transition into MedTech, how her marketing background has informed her leadership positions, her focus on marrying technological innovation with equitable access, the role of the patient, and her philosophy on leadership. I hope you enjoy. Well, Nina, listen, I really appreciate you being here and and taking the time. You know, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about. I'd love to kind of start, maybe if you could provide just like a quick background on on you, sort of your 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 early professional career, and, and how you first entered into the the med tech space. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, my path to med tech was not as direct, perhaps, as as some other people have been. I kind of think of my career in in three phases. The first phase, I spent a lot of time in consumer, especially in packaged goods, and that's I'd say where I really learned hardcore marketing, which is been really helpful for me throughout my entire career. I worked on things like water and baby bottles, really hardcore packaged goods kinds of things. I also did some early direct-to-consumer, specifically for Merck and for Sanofi Aventis, some of the big pharma companies, and that's also been extraordinarily helpful. I then moved into big pharma, where I focused a lot on strategy, and that's where, where I really started to think about how do you create markets and how do you grow markets, especially in the healthcare space. And that led me to this phase, the third phase of my career, I'd say, which is MedTech. And that's where I came to Medtronic. I've been here about 15 years. And I think I'm continuously learning how do we converge both technology and healthcare to provide the best solutions that we can for patients. Mm-hmm. And so when you first met, moved from pharma to Medtronic, you were on the cardiac rhythm management side. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So I spent a decent amount of my career there. You know, I'd love to hear just you know, especially from people who have, you know, been in it, like, what were some of the things that you found when, when you moved from sort of that consumer goods background into that role, you know, that, that you found maybe applicable and, and maybe some things that were new? And then how had that business or how have you seen that business change over, over the time that you were there? And then, which kind of leads me to the next question around, you know, what you did after that, which I can, we can follow up on, but I'd love to kind of hear you your overall perspective on that on that division within Medtronic. Yeah, you know, coming from big pharma into cardiac rhythm, which is the flagship business, if you will, for Medtronic and really the start of a lot of med tech was a great way to come in. Phenomenal technologies, as you well know, and the ability to bring some of that big pharma thinking, especially around how we could further develop markets, how we could disrupt markets, I think was really incredibly helpful. I came into Medtronic just as we were starting our work on our leadless pacemaker. So we took probably the most established market in all of MedTech in terms of pacing. 
and turn that market upside down with the development of Micra, the leadless pacemaker. I also think a lot about shared decision making and how consumers have an impact on the work that we do and really thinking about how that consumer voice is so critical. It was critical for me as I came into cardiac rhythm and it's been critical as I think about all the roles now I've held all throughout Medtronic. Yeah. And so and to that end, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about, so you, you were in, in a VP of, of marketing role, correct? You know, in, in cardiac rhythm management and then moved on to more of a, a GM role in some of these other business yeah. units. So what did you find was, was really useful in, in your marketing background, stepping into that new kind of role? And maybe what were some things yeah. that, that were new and challenging? And then that's sort of on the, on the personal side. And then moving into these other divisions, what did you find was maybe unique or different around being in you know, maybe more of a smaller, higher growth market versus maybe a more larger, mature market? Although you did mention with, with the, uh, the, the product launch of Micra that you, know, you did sort of have some of that innovative experience on, on, the, on the more mature market yeah. side with, with, with the CRM. Well, let me start with the marketing piece, because I think it's such a great question, and I'm probably biased because my whole career has been spent in marketing. But I think that it's probably the one of the best experiences to have when you're going into a general management role or a president's role, which is the role that I'm in now, because it really touches everything that you do. And so when I think about marketing, I think about uh, market development, I think about upstream marketing, I think about product marketing. And I think about the fact that it allows us to think about how do you create markets? How do you develop markets? How do you understand what a market is? How do you really understand voice of customer, what those unmet needs are, and then how you can bring solutions, in our case, technologies to market to meet those needs. Where I think I had a lot of learning uh, coming out of marketing, then moving into general management were the um, other functions things like clinical and regulatory quality, supply, uh, supply chain, manufacturing. Those are the areas where I had to do a lot of learning, and I'm continuously learning all of those functions. When you bring that all together to run a business, the core piece for me is still marketing. How do you understand what a customer wants, and then how do you bring that to them? And then wrapping all those other functions around that to really drive a business forward. Right. No, I think that that's a really key insight in that especially as it relates to the voice of the customer, having that experience, especially when you're launching new products or developing new markets, it's, it's such a linchpin in, in your overall commercial success. So you're currently in your role as, as senior VP and president for Structural Heart and Aorta, right. correct? What's your perspective sort of on the current landscape of that market? And then, you know, what are things that excite you most about, about what, you're, what you're doing currently? Yeah, I think um, for Structural Heart and Aortic, the thing that's so incredible about those businesses is just how much opportunity there is to bring those really innovative technologies and solutions to physicians and to their patients. If I think about um, Structural Heart to start, if um, as you well know, right, the heart has four valves, we have technology programs for all four of those. And if I start with TAVR, which is really the largest market that we have, this is where I think about how do we bring new catheter-based treatments, minimally invasive treatments, to patients with valvular disease. If we think about the fact that almost 30 million people worldwide has, have some kind of valve disease, we're completely and, and um, incredibly underpenetrated in all four of those areas. And so we have the opportunity 
to think about how do we bring new technology solutions, how do we think about geographical um, expansion. Uh, it's really all about meeting those customers where they are and making sure that they get the technologies that they need. Yeah. You know, you, you raise a good point too. You know, William Gibson has a quote, which is that the future is already here. It's just right. not distributed. So if you think about like technological innovation, that and the, let's say, distributed access to that innovation, it's not always in sync. So how have you focused on both sort of like changing the trajectory of access for that innovative technology, as well as like exploring ways to make outcomes of innovation, you know, more equitable and accessible sort of at the R&D level, right? Which is, those are not the same sort of task, but they are, you know, really interrelated. So I'd love to kind of hear, as you think about there's the sort of the technological innovation side of it, but then there's also the, the the access and distribution side of it as well. You know, I think we're doing a really good job on the technology part, right? We continue to develop incredible solutions for all of these disease states. I think you're exactly right. We don't yet have the ability to bring all of those technologies to all of the patients that need them. So we think a lot at Medtronic about health equity. And how do we improve access to care, especially in underserved communities? So we're doing, we're doing a lot of work here. We've got a number of pilots that we're working on to be able to improve that access to care, especially and specifically in this case for TAVR. So if I think about how do we get to more patients, we're doing things like collaborating with a company called Empiric, which is really a cardiac intelligence agency, and it uses AI in electronic medical records to be able to flag patients who may be at risk of aortic stenosis so that we can determine whether or not we want to intervene, uh, whether a physician wants to intervene, screen those patients and see whether or not they're appropriate for treatment. We find that there are a lot of patients within a hospital system that may have aortic stenosis but just haven't been flagged yet. And so this allows us to go into that system, highlight those patients and see whether or not they need, they need additional treatment. We also have a couple of pilots really looking at this whole idea of health equity and making sure that patients in these underserved communities have more access to care. We're doing a pilot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for instance, really looking at the African-American community, which, has, uh, which is incredibly underpenetrated. If we think about the fact that more than 50% 50 of patients with aortic stenosis are left untreated and are at high risk, but people of color are 2.8 times more likely to, uh, to, less likely, I should say, to receive TAVR treatment. So we're working on pilots to be able to bring technologies to those kinds of communities to make sure that we can increase that access to care. We're also looking at women, as I, as I mentioned in our, um, our, our pre-chat, if you will. Um, we're running a clinical trial, a head-to-head -head trial in, uh, in TAVR, and we're predominantly enrolling women because we want to understand the impact of treatment on that underserved community. So we've got a number of initiatives that we're looking at within Medtronic to look at health equity, to look at access to care, to make sure that we have the ability to improve upon that and then to be able to scale those solutions. No, I think that's fascinating, and it allows being able to sort of address that access issue, you know, on both fronts is, is really critical. And, and makes me think, you know, something you mentioned a little bit earlier around voice of the customer and, and understanding, you know, as we know in this space, right, the end user is is not necessarily the same as as the, the end beneficiary, if you will. And so 
When you think about maybe like the role or you know the agency of the patient as it relates to that continuum of care, has that role or, or has your, your your sort of perspective on that role changed or evolved over time? You know, and that yeah. could be things that you're seeing as it relates to you know technological innovation and in, in creating more autonomy and, and access and choice for patients, or maybe things that you've learned along the way as it relates to the patient's role in in, in this sort of you know continuum of care. Yeah, it's a great question. I've always believed that patients should have a bigger voice in the care that they receive. And I'll remember, as I mentioned, I did early direct-to-consumer work. And when we were starting some of that, there was an outcry from the medical community that we couldn't go directly to patients, that they were not going to understand what was being offered to them, that physicians needed to make decisions. And I think as time has gone on, we've all learned that that's not the case. I think our Our physicians are learning that an engaged, educated patient is the best thing possible to aid in care. And I think that we're all looking to help to educate patients even more so that they can be a shared decision maker in their care. And so we're spending a lot more time educating patients, making sure that they have a voice. We especially see that in um, technologies like TAVR, where when the patient's voice is not included, different decisions might get made. Most patients will tell us that if they have the choice, they would rather not have an open heart procedure. They would rather have a minimally invasive procedure. And physicians, I think, more and more are incorporating that voice into that decision-making. So I think shared decision-making is critical, and I think it's getting even more important as we have the ability to educate patients. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Sort of sitting in in your position as you think about, you know, driving, you know, the success of, you know, your particular business unit, you know, what are some other initiatives or or maybe like, you know, mandates that you've taken on, you know, you mentioned sort of, you know, the work that you're doing with women, you know, is is there a, a sort of a corporate component to that as well? Yes, we've got a lot of initiatives. As it, as it relates to women, I, I have the privilege of serving as the co-chair for the Medtronic Women's Network. This is an employee resource, resource group of about 24,000 members, both men and women, um, across the globe in 72 countries. And really the focus there is to develop and empower women within the organization so that they can take on larger leadership roles. And that's been very much supported by um, all of the leadership at Medtronic. So very, very proud of that work. From a business perspective, we have a lot of of these health equity initiatives that we were just talking about going on. We're very focused on global expansion. We've just brought our TAVR portfolio into China. We'll continue to expand that, uh, especially into emerging markets where there's such incredible need. In our aortic business, we're continuing to bring new technologies, especially AI kind of technologies that embrace the the, uh, procedure, if you will, and enable the procedure. And so we've got a lot going on from a business perspective and also from an employee resource perspective. That's that's really interesting. It kind of brings me to, you know, my next question, which is, you know, in thinking about sort of these various initiatives, both sort of at the at the customer and at the patient level, as well as like sort of intra-organizational, if you will, sort of a bottoms up and a top down, you know, what are maybe some components of sort of a, like a roadmap or an ideal of, of building a culture of, of success, right? Because 
it, you know, on the one hand, it's very multifaceted, but like on the other hand, I think from my experience hearing individuals you know, who've been successful in, in roles like yours, you know, they, there are certain core tenants that they have that they carry through with them that really create a foundation around what that looks like in building teams and, and driving organizational success. So I'd love to kind of hear what your perspective is on that. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. I, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about culture in an organization, especially for the businesses I run, which are, are, are very large, high-growth businesses. They're amongst the largest growth drivers in all of Medtronic, and you know the size of Medtronic. So I think a lot about how do we build that culture of success that you're talking about. And I think maybe it's, it, it's a couple of things. First, it's making sure that every voice is heard and that people feel that their voice is valued and that their ideas are going to be acted upon. And so ensuring that from the bottom of the organization all the way to the top, we're asking people what they think, how they feel, how we can get better, and then using those ideas to drive, to drive the businesses forward. We've, we've been working to build a culture of excellence, right? So this idea of we can't ever settle because we have to remember in these businesses that at the end of every decision, I think about this all the time, at the end of every decision that we make is a patient. And so no matter what we're doing from the, the biggest decisions to the smallest decisions, at the end of that decision, somebody's health care, somebody's well-being, somebody's family member uh, is at the end of that decision. So we can't settle for anything less than being incredibly excellent. I encourage the organization to learn from failures because not everything goes the way the way you'd like it to go. And sometimes things, there are mistakes that are made or, or something isn't gone the way it was planned. Uh, I'm okay with that as long as we learn from it. And so we, I encourage the organization to really take a look at what didn't go well and make sure that we're pulling that forward so that we can have a culture of learning uh, as well. And then I think we have to remember that we impact patients' lives every single day. And it's really important for us to remember that. And we bring patients into our organization to tell their stories all the time because I want everyone to understand that we're not selling soft drinks and we're not selling packaged goods. We are selling healthcare solutions that make a difference to patients every single day. And I want everyone to, to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night remembering the fact that there's a patient at the end of every decision. And so I think if when I put all those things together, that's how we're building a, a high-performing culture, but a, a culture that's really focused on excellence and success. Yeah. No, and again, that sort of patient centricity, I think, is very much a common sort of theme yeah. that I hear as a, a mission, if you will, for yeah. large and small yeah. you know, med tech. And I'm always, you know, interested to hear, especially individuals like yourself who are running large units within large companies, mm -hmm. like building a, a, a culture of success, being able to do that at a, at a scale. And then like, you know, what does that look like both sort of qualitatively, but also quantitatively and building in processes and I think it's, it's no easy task. So it's really interested to, to hear not just like, what are my sort of philosophical underpinnings of what that looks like, but then how do I then execute on that? I think Part of that comes with maybe perspective that you have on what does success from your perspective look like as a leader, right? So if you think about your role as a leader in, in your various uh, roles at Medtronic over, over the past you know, 10 or 15 years, what does that look like? Have you found that perspective on that has changed or evolved? And you know, what are some things that you've learned that you're, you're, you're taking forward with you into this most recent role? 
Yeah, I've had the opportunity, I think, to reflect on that quite a bit. And I think about it as well when I mentor people, right? Because those are the questions that people who are looking for guidance and advice ask as well. So the things I think about are a couple. One is have a, have a learning mindset, right? Always be curious. I, I, I think about what can I learn every single day. Even uh, at this point in my career, I'm continuously looking at what am I learning and then how can I impart those learnings on the rest of, of my organization and on my team. I think about hard work, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, it's really having everyone prepared to work really, really hard for the outcomes that we're looking for. And I want to be, I, I want to make sure that everybody's clear about what the goals that we have for the organization are and making sure that we're aligned on those goals. So when you asked about how do we do that at scale, it's the operating mechanisms that we've put in place in the organization to make sure that we've got a common vision, that we've got common strategies, common objectives. Everybody understands them. Everybody can repeat them, but mostly that everybody feels them and, and works towards them. Uh, and so we take that from, from my chair, we then have a, a leadership team, we have an extended leadership team, and we cascade all of that all throughout the organization so that we have a common purpose that we're all working towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the ability to take that sort of radical ownership, but then also understand like, when is it important for me to delegate and empower others? Like yeah. that's a that's an interesting balancing act. And it's something that I know just speaking with other people in the past and, and even myself, as you step into different roles, like what do I need to let go of and how do I, how do I drive success amongst others? And I think that the, the key that you mentioned around mentorship is important because, you know, one of the things that I've heard is it's no matter at what stage in your career you're at, mentoring and then and then having a mentor is really important right especially as you think about you know driving like we, yeah. we talked about you know a culture of success and then that constant learning i mean that's something that i hear quite often it's it sort of you know to that end question i like to ask is if there's something that like you're currently reading or, or if there's a book that has you know sort of had a profound personal or professional impact on you um, i'm always curious to kind of hear what that that might be. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty avid reader, and um, I, I tend to read more than one book at a time. I think a lot of people do that, uh, and they serve different purposes for me. So right now what I'm reading is, um, I'll be honest, I'm reading Ina Garten's new book called Go To Dinners, because I always think I'm going to learn how to cook. I never do, but I always think I'm going to, so I, I'm focused on that. I'm rereading Where the Crawdads Sing, just because it's so beautifully written, and that very poetic language resonates with me. But from a business perspective, the book I go back to all the time is the book True North by Bill George. Uh, Bill George was a former CEO of Medtronic, and he really has focused his post-Medtronic career on working with leaders on, on being an authentic leader. And he's had this concept of, of leading from both the heart and the mind, that you need EQ and IQ uh, in order to, uh, to be an authentic leader. And um, I go back to that time and time again, uh, especially when I'm grappling with complicated issues, big, big issues within the organization, uh, that is a book that um, I, I find has, uh, has led me in the right direction time and time again. Oh, that's great. I, I'm familiar with that book, actually. So um, I also am someone who is a, a perennial wannabe. I'm more of a on the cleaning department than on the <laughs> cooking department, but I, I've, I've tried to change that over time. It's a uh, not particularly successful. You so and me I, both. So that's why I'm reading this book. 
Listen, I, I, this has all been, you know, really fascinating. You know, I, I, I like to end and, and just kind of put it back to you to think about, you know, the title of our podcast is Med Device Career. So, you know, really looking at individuals like yourself who have been successful in this space, you know, what, what you've learned over time, you know, what, what your sort of career trajectory looks like. And, and so for those people who are listening that are, you know, either in the space and they're, they're looking to advance their career or maybe move from a, a larger division to a smaller division or, you know, maybe, you know, change sort of from, from one trajectory to another, clinical to sales or, you know, marketing to operations or whatever that might be, or, or those people like looking to sort of break into the space. Mm-hmm. What's some advice that maybe you would give to them or, or maybe advice that you would like to have known when you started out, if you could go back and, and provide that to yourself? What, what might yeah, that It's a great way to phrase that question. Thanks for that. Um, you know, I mentor a lot of people, uh, especially women, but um, a lot of people within the with inside and outside of Medtronic. And there's a couple of things that I, I have tended to share because I found them helpful as I was proceeding through my career. As I mentioned to you, the first one is just be curious, learn as much as you can and reach out to anyone who can help make inroads for you. I think sometimes people feel shy about doing that. I would say reach out to anyone who you think can help you. Be prepared to work really hard is one that um, I've always lived by and I I think it, it continues to resonate. And then as we were talking about I would make sure that your people are seeking out sponsors, not just mentors who can help you think through things, but really sponsors who can help advocate for you and to choose those sponsors really carefully and to keep up with them. A, a lot of times people will reach out for mentorship and sponsorship and then you know, three years later they reach back out because they're, they're wanting more help. If you want a mentor or a sponsor, make that a, a, a continuous ongoing relationship so that people get to know you and they can actively help you as you're moving through your career. Be clear about what your career aspirations are. People can't help you if they don't know what you want. And maybe the last one I would say, especially for people who are at the start of their career, the middle of their career, focus on the impact that you want to have. Don't don't get caught up in the title. Don't get as much as you can. Don't get caught up in the salary. Really get caught up in what is it that you want to do Where do you want to go? And what are the experiences that you need to get there? And then focus on getting to that. And then the rest tends to start to fall into place. Yeah, I I think that that's a great way of phrasing it. And it allows people to sort of start with, with with the thing that is probably the most important, right? And the most edifying, right? Those other things are important and they come with time. But I, I like that sort of impact driven career trajectory as well as I like having that sort of sponsorship relationship or mentorship relationship is is just that, right? It's a relationship. And so I think taking it beyond the merely transactional is, is going to be very important down the, down the road. And that I think goes both ways with, with people that you're mentoring as well as those that maybe you would seek out as a mentor. That's so. right. And I think your mentors and sponsors may be different people. Yeah. You know? No, I, that's a very good point. But, but I think people should think about that as well. Yeah. Listen, Nina, this was really fantastic. I appreciate the time. I think um, you know, there's there's a lot here that uh, listeners are going to really, I think, relate with. And um, it was great to hear your perspective, sort of at the macro level, and then also you know your your personal career trajectory and, and things that you've learned along the way. So, thanks so much for for making the time. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It was great to be with you. If you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please subscribe to the MedDevice Careers podcast, leave a review, and recommend to a friend to help spread the word. 
Are you searching for a new career, looking to hire the next med device star, want to grow your network, or are simply looking for a reliable source of med device news and insights? Med Device Careers is creating a platform for professional development and opportunity, cultivating growth through engaging content and conversations, and connecting med device professionals across the globe. Go to meddevicecareers.com and create a profile today. You can also follow Med Device Careers on all social platforms, and I can also be found on Twitter at PasteBeat or on LinkedIn, where I'll share what I'm reading and learning as I continue to grow my own career. Thanks again.